This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and we are joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Cam, good afternoon. How has this week been? A preview for March Madness. Uh, we had five inches of snow yesterday. It's 52 degrees outside right now. So um, hard to get your compass to settle right now, even before the uh, events in the broader world. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, we're also experiencing quite a cold front here, um, but it looks like temperatures are going to go back up to the 80s next week. Um, <laughs> so... Russia's invasion of Ukraine has led to a surge in prices of everything um, from crude oil to metals to food. And the price of oil rose to above $130 per barrel. Furthermore, the effects of this war could lead to stagflation um, where prices rise and economic activity declines. What are your thoughts on this, Cam? Well, I think uh, we're still at the point where everything is on the table, uh, though I don't think uh, it will take uh, the conflict going on much longer for Europe to probably tip back into recession. Um, But... um, A lot depends uh, on how quickly the fighting ends and under what terms. Uh, You know, I would say that if there was a reasonable resolution within the next month where much of Europe and the U.S. felt that they could reward Russia, (laughs) if that's the right word, uh, for taking positive steps, I think you'd actually see a big relief rally. Um, uh, You'd probably see asset prices really jump. Consumers who are holding back for understandable reasons right now till they know which way the wind finally blows will start spending. So, you know, I think we're poised between reaching a tipping point where it's almost certain you're going to see some kind of at least technical recession uh, or things swiftly improve for the better and you get, uh, you know, a really significant bounce back. Certainly, the U.S. economy still has a fair amount of momentum, even with uh, the price increases and uh least a decent segment of of the consuming population uh, have more money in the bank than they've done in previous times. Um, Income saved during the pandemic, stimulus payments, um, less opportunities to spend it. So um, I think things could sort of definitely, as they frequently do, um, unfold on somewhat different tracks on the side of the Atlantic compared to what goes on in Europe. Um, You know, at the moment, uh, heading towards not a great place, but uh, not sort of completely over the cliff and into the ditch. Well, good. I mean, hopefully we don't go off the the cliff, but... um 
European equities have been one of the funds that have been the most vulnerable to the escalating pressures from Russia on Ukraine. Um, Redemptions exceeded 10 billion for the first time ever this week, as we highlighted in the Global Navigator, after an outflow of 6.7 billion the last week. And looking for safety, investors have fled to stocks and bonds um, and gold. Can you expand a bit on this? Yeah, no. So certainly, uh, at the moment, another you know aspect of this is that uh, certainly in fund flow terms, it's still being seen as primarily Europe's problem. Um, U.S. equity funds managed to record inflows, as did U.S. bond funds last week, uh, and pretty much since the tensions began to escalate along the Ukraine-Russian border. Uh, there's been sort of a noticeable uh, uptick in flows to the greater China universe, dedicated China equity funds, Taiwan, Hong Kong, greater China. Before I leave that, a a thing worth noting, uh, because it frequently comes up in terms of comparisons, you know, if Russia will uh, unilaterally attack the Ukraine, would China uh, by force uh, reunite uh, Taiwan if if it can't? I mean, there's no guarantee an attack would work. But I, I think the answer recently is that, um, you know, markets have accepted China's sort of broad signals that it doesn't intend to attack Taiwan, though reserving the right to take action at some indeterminate point in the future if what it regards as a renegade province you know, strays too far into uh, you know, uh, the realm of, of outright independence. Uh, and we uh, saw well over a billion dollars go into dedicated Taiwan equity funds this past week. Um, in Europe, um, though, the, uh, the events in the Ukraine are, are the catalyst. Uh, there's plenty of other issues there that um, were making investors nervous even before the geopolitical issues climbed to the top. Um, inflation was one of them, uh, and, and what's happening uh, with Russia is not helping on that. Um, you know, we are seeing um, the European Central Bank increasingly having to uh, pull back from earlier assurances that uh, it wouldn't raise rates until uh, a sort of a durable co- recovery was well established. Um, with uh, Germany having this historic reluctance to accept uh, high levels of inflation, um, the ECB was already under pressure to cut back its stimulus, um, since its stimulus was more important in a way than the Fed's in terms of supporting uh, domestic bond markets. Uh, the implications of that uh, have a you know more immediate negative effect on European asset prices than you know the Fed, uh, Fed rate hike would have on on, on comparable assets over here. And uh, you know, there's the usual issues that always uh, dog Europe: the uh, uncomfortable one size not fitting all of the euro uh, as a currency, which uh, you know, continues to cause pain for 
southern tier economies like Spain uh, and Italy, um, the unresolved issues surrounding Brexit, which complicate trade patterns. Um, again, Germany enjoys a, a very healthy trade surplus with the UK and and. You know, France's efforts to, quote unquote, punish the, the UK for uh, actually leaving the EU, uh, sort of making people nervous. Um, so the, lot, lots of, lots of issues uh, in Europe that were already uh, raising question marks. And uh, in some ways, events in the Ukraine have given people uh, a reason to sell, a reason to step back and wait and see if once again Europe sort of makes progress getting its house in order. Yeah, that's a that's a lot going on in Europe. Um and yeah. we are seeing investors go towards safer assets um where there's maybe less headwinds um affecting them. We saw gold funds pick up um in recent weeks and certain sector funds as well. That's true. And actually, you, you're the one to talk about this because you've been digging into them a bit more than I have recently. Um, but commodities, which uh, had somewhat seeded their role as sort of an inflationary hedge to some of the alternative fund groups, certainly last year, uh, are back in the spotlight with a vengeance uh, and, and sort of not just the usual suspects, which is, I think, what you're digging discovered. Right. Um, yeah, we saw it. Um, energy and commodities pull in almost $8 billion combined in the past two weeks. Um, most notably, our physical commodity funds saw a record $6.7 billion flow in um, and continue an eight-week streak of inflows. Precious metals, like as with gold, um, have seen inflows over $2 billion in recent weeks. And that's mostly driven by that uncertainty from investors. Um, you can see that investors are definitely worried about sanctions made on, on Russia. Um, and in fact, in the past three weeks, financial sector funds have racked up $7.4 in redemptions. Um, so I might add, too, that in our newest campaign for EPFR, we focus on sector rotation, um, last, given last year's pandemic times, um, and then also what we're seeing for 2022 so far. Um, so there'll be definitely a lot of insightful material coming up in, in the coming weeks. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned physical commodities, which has sort of the ring of stability, like you're actually getting your hands on, on something tangible. Because it's also has been noticeable that uh, another group doing well in recent weeks are the alternative fund groups, the, the long, short, the, the funds that allow you to uh, – you know, leverage positive or negative bets, uh, hedge funds, derivatives funds. So, you know, what that tells me is that people still see this as sort of a tactical event, uh, the, the Ukraine crisis, not not a chronic one uh, that's going to affect markets for years and years. As I said, I don't think that view will survive very, very much longer if the war continues. 
Um, but for the moment, uh, there's more of a tactical approach to all of this than sort of a major reset of uh, investing patterns, certainly in the mutual fund world. Great. Well, thank you, Cam. Um, and we'll close it out on there before we can. Thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> before we go on forever <laughs> yes. on these topics. All right. Thank you. Good. Bye. Talk next week. Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 